0: I never thought I was the best athlete. Uh, I had some God-given ability, but I was determined to, to outwork everybody and be the best version of myself that I could possibly be.
1: Hello and welcome to TrackCast, the official podcast of the Real Estate Council. From deep in the heart of Dallas, Texas, I'm Bill San Antonio. Thank you for joining us. On today's show, we're replaying last month's Bank of Texas Speaker Series event with Troy Aikman, the legendary Dallas Cowboys quarterback and current co-host of ESPN's Monday Night Football. He joined us for a very special sold-out fireside chat at the Hilton Anatole talking to Cawley Partners CEO Bill Cawley about his life on and off the gridiron, developing 8 Beer, his latest entrepreneurial venture, and his approach to the broadcast booth. Aikman doesn't need much of an introduction here in Dallas, though I'll give one anyway. He was the first pick of the 1989 NFL Draft out of UCLA and was a core member of the Cowboys' three Super Bowl teams of the 1990s, being named MVP of Super Bowl 27. In 12 seasons, all with Dallas, the six-time Pro Bowler threw for 32,942 yards and 165 touchdowns and was named the NFL's Man of the Year in 1997. Following his retirement in 2000, he was named to the Cowboys Ring of Honor in 2005 and selected to the Pro Football Hall of Fame in 2006. After more than two decades as part of the NFL on Fox, Aikman and longtime broadcast partner Joe Buck joined ESPN prior to the 2022 season to co-host Monday Night Football, which is perhaps the sport's most coveted broadcast role. In his television career, Aikman has been a part of six Super Bowl broadcasts. He's had quite the career, to say the least, and you'll hear about all that and much more in his conversation with Bill. Before we get started, I just want to note we did face some technical difficulties while recording this conversation, and unfortunately, you will hear them reflected in the audio, so please bear with us. I'd also like to recognize and thank our speaker series sponsors, our title sponsor, Bank of Texas, our series sponsor, Stuart Title, our speaker sponsor, Global Pro Texas, and our media partner, the Dallas Morning News media giant. Don't forget to subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast app and follow us on social media and YouTube for the latest from around the Real Estate Council. Now, let's go inside the huddle with Troy Aikman right here on TrackCast.
0: Okay, so I, uh, I married late in my uh, playing career, uh, and I'm actually glad the way that it worked out. So I didn't even have my children until I had retired so it afforded me uh, a lot of time that a lot of a lot of men have kids when they're young and they're in the middle of their careers and they're pursuing that and it takes away from the time that they're able to spend then with their children whereas for me my dream had always been to be a professional athlete and and then when I came to Dallas and played for the Cowboys but I always wanted to be a father as well and to be able to to begin having my children after uh, the first part of my career was was over uh, was great and then, when I got into broadcasting, it afforded me even more time with the kids because I was home during the week during the football season. I would only miss their Saturday activities as they began getting older and then in the off season i was I was theirs twenty four uh, seven which ended up being a real blessing because I I got divorced when my girls were quite young. They were eight and nine years old. And so as a single father and uh, raising them, I was able to really invest as much as possible. So uh, I've said many times that if at the end of my life, my girls say my father was a great father, then I I feel like uh, my life was a real real success. And none of the rest of it, much matters because I believe that our legacy is not told by those who don 't know us uh, at the deepest level. i mean the, the, I believe our legacy is told by those who know us best and and who who will know us best than our than our kids so uh, it 's always been real important to me and i 'm real proud of them and We mentioned Allie Beth being here. she literally has been a grandmother uh, to my girls she 's having taking them to dinner tonight, which she does about once a month, not as often now that they're in college, but, uh, they've had a lot of female, uh, role models
2: and, and Allie Beth is at the top of that list. That's awesome. You know, one of my regrets is I, I had kids early in life and, um, you know, I had issues with alcohol and I had a lot of things that I had to go through in my life to grow up. And um, so my older, my adult kids, it took me a while to kind of get the dad thing figured out and for me to grow up enough to do it. And I think it's been a real blessing like with Hunter and Kaylee and, and meeting Keeley in my life is to kind of get a shot to doing it right. And, from the outside in, it looks like you're doing it right. I just have been really impressed with it.
0: Well, thank you. I, I, yeah, thank you. It means a lot.
2: Okay, so now the the uh, workout routine. I mean, I don't <laughs> know anybody your age that's in better shape than you are. And I know, uh, well, we in the summers we work out some together in the morning, and you are as committed to it as anybody I've met. I'm. I actually care about my exercise routine a lot because. Right. It's going fast, and I'm trying to stay as young as I can. But, but drink water. I think what you watch, what you eat, what kind of. Tell me what your your theory is.
0: Well, uh, thank you for the compliment. I feel the same way about you because I know how important it is to you, and yeah, and, uh, and I and I watch it, and I admire uh, people who do take their health and wellness seriously. And I always have, of course, as a lifelong athlete. It's obviously uh, important if you're going to be able to make it. Uh, to the professional ranks as an athlete to take care of your body. But w- when I began, I, I feel like I've gotten a bit obsessive and a, and a bit extreme. I, I feel amazing. It is the best uh, I've ever felt. Babe Loffenberg reminded me years ago that when you hear people say they're in the best shape of their life, it usually means that they're old. <laughs> because you, you, I you, think you, you're right. You, you don't hear 25 year olds or 30 year olds right. say, "Man, I'm in the best shape of my life." You know, you hear guys right. like me and you that right. that say that. So, but when COVID, hit, uh, I I knew people were going to go one of two ways, and I just felt that it was important to me then to say, "Okay, I'm I'm not then going to just let myself go and." you know, hang around the house like like some others that I knew were. I was going to even try to ratchet it up a notch. And those that knew me thought, well, how can you possibly do that? So my routine, I follow, I know most everyone in here is probably on Instagram. I follow a guy, Dr. Mark Hyman, and I know people are familiar with him in the room as well. H-Y-M-A-N. He's awesome. He's awesome. I've read his books. And if he says do it, I I do it. And my whole morning routine has changed, Uh, I keep adding things to it. So...
2: Is it true you don't take hot showers anymore?
0: I haven't had a hot shower in about seven months. So Um,
2: nothing but cold shower.
0: Nothing but cold, and I take a cold shower first thing in the morning, Uh, and then... So it starts to where if at all possible, I will not set an alarm. So I, I just feel that sleep is the absolute most important thing to really get your day started the right way. And I've right. always fortunately been a really good sleeper. So uh, I get in bed usually by 9 o'clock, um, lights out at 9.30.
2: That means you're old.
0: Yeah, that, yes, <laughs> it does. And, uh, but when I get up, yeah, cold shower, uh, I I stretch, I meditate. Um, I drink a gallon and a half minimum of water a day. Uh, I do the intermittent fasting. I eat between the hours of about 12 and and 8 o'clock. I do that. I just started red light therapy, which began uh, a couple weeks ago that I was reading a lot about that and how good that was. I do a cold plunge in a sauna uh, every day that I'm in Dallas. Uh, Not as accessible when I'm on the road, but I do that every day. Um, And so... Just trying to, like, you know, like, like you, Bill, we're all just
2: trying to stretch it out as long as we can. Totally. So, like, will you eat, like, will you go eat a cheeseburger?
0: Uh, no. I did have uh, the girls, they just got back um, from college, and we were all together just two nights ago, and they asked if I would cook for them, and I said, yeah, absolutely, whatever you want. And they wanted burgers. Which I used to avoid. I I, I never have been a, a vegetarian. I've always eaten uh, meat. I just haven't eaten much of it. But, right. Uh, now I eat more of it just because I, about reading from Dr. Hyman about the importance of protein. Uh, I did make hamburgers for them. Uh, I just I just had the patty instead of the rest of it. But
2: but so you'll eat a hamburger. You just won't eat a bun. No carbs. Correct. Right. That's right. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And I avoid carbs. So got it. But I'm I'm going to Italy here next week and pasta i'll be eating a lot of carbs go for it right yeah go for it it's
2: part of it living you got to live right yeah that's right okay so beer business how does a guy one think about getting in the beer business and then doing it
0: so i uh i kind of feel like i've been in the beer business a little bit because when i was in college when i was transferring from the university of oklahoma to ucla my summer job that year was at a beer distributorship in tulsa And uh, so I learned a lot. I I was on the trucks. I did all those things, built displays and delivered beer. And then towards the end of the summer, the owner wanted me to start hanging around with him. And then I started calling on accounts with him. And so between the two different roles, I learned a lot, went out to UCLA. But when I came to Dallas, uh, I became close friends with Barry and Lana Andrews, uh, who have Andrews distributing. And. So I did a lot with their distributorship, sales meetings, things of that nature. Uh, But never did I imagine that I would get into the beer business until about four years ago now, I guess it was. I met my now partners, and one of them has had a career in the beer business. And he asked uh, if it would be something that I might be interested in doing. And just to piggyback off of the health and wellness aspect of where I'm at in my life, I said, well, I I do – I do like beer, and I will drink beer from, from time to time. So if, if I were to make a beer, it would have to be consistent with, with where I'm at and what I drink, and that is a, a light beer, low-calorie, low-carb beer. And, and they were on board with that. So that was where it began, and I decided to do it more than any other reason, Bill, because I thought we could do it differently. Yeah, I thought we could do it better. But I've learned in my business career that it's really the people that ultimately make something successful or not. And and I've been involved in some really great concepts, great ideas, great technology that never really went anywhere, not because of the product or the innovation, but more because of we didn't have the people to pull it off. Totally. Well, I knew the partners of mine could pull it off. And and so I was betting on them as much as I'm betting on myself and what we made. So was Barry a partner? No, but I called Mike McGuire, who's Barry's son-in-law, got it, and I said, I've got an opportunity to get involved uh, in this. I I think the market needs something new, something fresh. I think we can do it differently, and he was behind it. He said, I agree, and had he have been not so optimistic about it, I likely would not have gone through with it. But knowing that okay well at least in North Dallas he would be behind it as a distributor and my relationships with some other distributors that's how it began now i will tell you why 8 beer is different is it's low calorie low carb but we use 100% organic grains and we use antioxidant hops but the real kicker is we don't we don't have any adjuncts or fillers which which means we don't add any corn, rice, syrup, or sugars to the beer. And, and we are the only widely available beer that can make claim to that. So it, it is the cleanest, uh, best-for-you beer on the market. And as a low-calorie, low-carb beer, it has a full-bodied taste. So, I mean, it sounds like a sales pitch because I'm the owner, but uh, the, if you like light beer... yeah. And you like the taste of eight. There's really no reason why not you would drink ever it. drink right. anything else because the, it is—it's the best for you beer on the market. Right. And um,
2: you didn't get rid of the alcohol, did
0: you? <laughs> <laughs> did not get rid of the alcohol. But it's four—it's 4.0 uh, alcohol by volume. It's you know it's a, it's a it's a light beer, um, light in alcohol and and but it's done well. We, we launched our second year. And in the first year, we were the uh, number one independent growth brand uh, across the country, and yet we were, uh, excuse me, we are number seven across the country, and yet we're only in Texas. We were the number one uh, independent beer brand growth uh, brand in the, in the history of Texas. So it's done It's done really well. It's been received really well, and uh, we're hoping that in, in due time we'll be moving beyond Texas and into some other states.
2: So the plan is to go nationwide?
0: Yes. Uh, well, let me just say this. If we just stayed in Texas, you can obviously have a tremendous business yeah. just in Texas. Yeah. And I thought that by years end we might be in some of the neighboring states, Oklahoma, yeah. New Mexico, Arkansas. Uh, that may not happen quite as soon, but... If we begin moving outside of the state of Texas, which I believe we will, uh, then that will be a great indication that really good things are happening.
2: Okay, so like, were you sitting in the room, and are you the one that picked it? Like when they they'd have like they'd come up with three brews, and they'd sit in the in the glasses. And I, you, well, I, I, I me mean, and my partners, we
0: we did it uh, w- we did it by Zoom. We had they sent out the the batches that we had. Yeah. We did the taste test and uh, what we liked about this one or what we didn't like and where we wanted to go with it. And I just kept saying, hey, can we make it better for you? I mean, that was, That's that was awesome. kind of the mandate that I had. And, uh, and, and the results were really positive. We, we worked with Oregon State University. They've got a tremendous beer, beer program in their food and science department. And uh, those, those guys were
2: experts. They were fantastic. Okay, so I don't know if everybody here knows, but the master's – to a golf tournament the previous year's winner of the masters gets to name the they have a winner's dinner every year to commemorate past winners and every year they get to the past winner and it was scotty scheffler last year uh gets to name the menu like what they're going to eat and eight beer was right in the middle of it how did you get that done
0: No, it, 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 well, I should just, it was not, it was not in the middle of it. No, that was, was that somebody that was, uh, that was basically a, a great job of Photoshopping. Got it. Okay. <laughs> so it wasn't there. Right. No.
2: I, I, cause it, no. I was amazed that you got that done. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> These
0: two. We, got we've it. gotten it in some pretty good places. We had a, we had a strong endorsement from Matthew McConaughey. Uh, yeah. Wayne Johnson Rock has, has gotten behind it. Uh, so it's been, uh, it's been plugged pretty well, but yeah, not, it didn't make it to, uh, to Augusta. Okay, maybe next year. Although we did do an activation there uh, a year ago when we yeah. launched, um, but yeah, it was not at the uh, champion's dinner.
1: We'll be right back with Troy Aikman, but first a word from our speaker series title sponsor, Bank of Texas.
2: You start each day committed to pursuing better for your employees, clients, and communities. The team at Bank of Texas shares that spirit. We come in every day ready to fuel growth in North Texas and financial success for our clients. Our breadth of services and advice-driven approach allows us to compete nationally. But our deep connection to this community, our community, keeps us focused on being good partners. Okay, so tell me about um, Fox for ESPN. So when your contract was up, um were you kind of going to be a free agent and see who what came along or did you expect to stay at Fox what did you think was going to happen there
0: well so the the interesting thing was my contract was not up oh, it at was fox it? but the year before I was signing a new agreement with with fox and what they offered I thought was below market and so in the negotiation i i present they i presented three options they they were reluctant to go uh, above where their offer was i made i made three i i gave them three proposals gave fox three proposals and one was for this amount for a shorter a number of years another one was a little bit more or a little bit less with more years and then the last one was i'll take their number but then I want an option in the contract uh, after one year, only after one year, that I had the ability then to negotiate with other networks if, if they wanted my services. Right. And the reason I did that was because I knew that Amazon was going to be coming on and I, and, I, and I thought that ESPN could potentially be in play. But I had no idea that any of I didn't know if he, any of those networks would be interested in me. I just thought you know, if there's some open seats, and that's the hard thing about this business is There's not a lot of seats. There's only so many and, and if you're under contract, you're probably not going anywhere. So timing's real important. And, and so I, that was my last option, that I'll take your number that I think is below market but then after one year, I can then shop my services. And if nobody was interested, then it was kind of like, okay I'll be back at Fox. And and so these th- these three options presented, and by my, and they came back, and he said they took option C, and I said, wow, I don't even know what to make of that. You know, I mean, <laughs> they, they, they're not, they're, they're, I, I didn't know what that meant. Like, right. Are are they, are they okay? They just okay if I leave, or uh, they're just simply, or is it just simply they're not going to pay anything more? And so anyway, the year ends. Uh, I never had any conversations with Fox. Amazon began began talking to me in the middle of the the season in
2: 2021. And do they have the rights to talk to you whenever they want? Is there any kind of? Uh... Uh,
0: in this situation, they did. Yeah. Okay. Just not typically, but yeah. Uh, so long and short of it is is that Fox didn't really believe that someone would step in and and make an offer that was better than the offer that they had already, that I'd already signed, essentially. And Amazon was a little bit, uh, they were having a hard time figuring out exactly what their booth was going to be like. They had Al Michaels locked up. And I guess part of what helped me was that Al wanted to work with me. So he was talking to Amazon, uh, letting them know that that I would be a partner that he would want to work alongside, uh, which helped my negotiation. Uh, And then at the 11th hour, ESPN jumped in. And uh, made, made an offer, and, and, and I ended up going to ESPN. And what made that deal really good for me was the fact that Joe got to come along with me. because.
2: So how did that happen? Because was well, he under well, contract, so too?
0: I kept Joe and our crew informed as to how everything was going along that last year in 2021. And I just said, hey, just so it doesn't come out of left field, there's a chance that next year I may not be back at Fox. I don't know what this is going to look like. And then when it happened, when I told Joe, I called him up and said, hey, just so you know, I, I've reached an agreement with ESPN. I'm, I'm going to go to Monday Night Football. Uh, he was he was happy about it because we have enjoyed working together. Yeah, he's and awesome. he couldn't understand. And I never had any conversations with Fox. I mean, Fox never came back to the table. And so said, they okay. never tried. No. no. And the only conversation I had with my boss was when he called me to congratulate me on the ESPN contract. And so – Joe was really upset about it, and he then – he had one year left on his contract, and he then asked Fox uh, if – he said, look, I've given you whatever it was, 27 years of my life, and I'm asking you to give me one year back. And, and they agreed. That's so awesome. Yeah. They let him out of his contract, and then he, he was able to negotiate with ESPN, and, and we've been able to stay together. So that's been – that, that was the best part about it.
2: From my perspective, you guys are the best in the business, well, I think, Joe. by a mile. Because, you know, um, I think, and I'm, I'm not going to name names, but I, I think you're the most prepared announcer on TV. How much time do you spend every week pre- prepping for a game?
0: Uh, I mean, it's a lot. I just – and it's gotten more over the years. It just seems like there's more that, that – that I feel like I need to know in order for me to get to a comfort level of doing the game. Right. And some don't do as much. And I think it's just a matter of whatever it takes for you to get to a comfort level. But it's one of those things that I I feel like if, if we're doing a Giants game, for instance, and there are diehard Giants fans, that it's important to me that when I'm talking about, any player for them or anything about their season that I know that team and those players as well as they do who but live and die it. You know, their names, no, you know, the players names. Well, that's the, that's the, that's the, 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 that's a low bar. I mean, that's, that's <laughs> a, yeah, I mean,
2: but I mean, I think yeah. that that's a big deal. I mean, cause you've got people coming in and out all the time. You know, I, I've seen well, announcers say If you 50, don't
0: know the names, then you you. Well, I've you seen a lot of guys go
2: number 59s coming no, in No, I've,
0: I've heard some of that. Yeah. Uh, um, but so you could, you could be in – I could be laying in bed the night before a game and say, gosh, this kicker, you know, I don't know how far his career-long field goal is. And Joe would know that. You know, there's things that Joe knows that I don't necessarily have to know. But me knowing that, will help in my analysis then if the game comes down to the last two minutes, which so many of them do, yeah. as to where they've got to get in order for this team to have a chance to win the game and get into his range. And so there's a lot of, there's a lot of little things like that. So during the season, I'll just say that um, – in fact, I, I, I just had this conversation uh, with a writer. He was at, we had a conversation about something. I said, I, look – I uh, know the people who really prepare in this business, and, and I would say that no one, and this isn't me patting myself on the back, although it'll sound like it, is uh, there are people in our industry that work exceptionally hard. I just don't think anyone works harder than I do. I, I'm right. not saying that I work harder than everyone else. Yeah. I just don't think anyone works harder than me. But that that's been that 's been the mantra of my life uh, that has been I think what allowed me to have success as an athlete and you mentioned you know we spoke a moment ago about working out and all that. People have asked me, why do you work out so much or why do you why do you still do it uh, and I do it for one simple reason that when i 'm asked by anyone, young or old, what my uh, what my philosophy is about success it's that you have to put in the time you and you have to work and you have to be disciplined and you have to be consistent and those are all the things that I have taught my girls and I never thought I was the best athlete uh, I had some god-given ability but I was determined to to outwork everybody and be the best version of myself that I could possibly be and I don't I'm not the best speaker uh, but I've made a career in broadcasting, and it's primarily because I, I'm going to be more prepared uh, oh, yeah. than anyone else. So if I then let myself go physically, I, I feel it's a, it's a contradiction to what I stand for. Uh, you know, it's hard to talk to people about putting in the work and being consistent and being disciplined if you just let yourself go. Right. Um, And so to me, it's just part, it's just who I am. It's just part of my makeup.
2: Do you take a day off? Do you you have a day where you don't work out at all? You don't do you? Uh,
0: if I never used to, if in in the course of a year, I used to a lot and, uh, in the course of a year, if I took five days off from cardio or, you know, uh, that would have been a, a high number in a year but as I've gotten older, I, I'm not able to run now. I just started things started really giving me some problems. So now I, I, I do the Peloton. I started walking a lot more. I found that that's been been really good. There are times on Sundays when I take Sundays totally off. But uh, more more times than not now I'll, I'll get out and, and do a, a four or five mile walk on a on a on what is normally an off day. But yeah. My body's thanking me for it, I know yeah, that.
2: I've become a walker, and, and uh, I, I actually do think there's benefits doing it, you know? Yeah. So when you were in college, and you were this great athlete, and you were studying, did you think you were going to be a professional football player, or were you thinking like maybe a CPA, or, I mean, was there, did you have a career in mind when you were in school of being an athlete? Well, <clears throat> so. To, like, to, like for to, me, I knew. It had to be real estate because I was not a good athlete. Okay, right. Um, so, like, were you just going to college to get to the pros? Well, I'll well, I'll, you, I'll go back. A I'll go back
0: a little bit. I know I'll go back a little bit sooner. That. Uh, so, I've said this a lot. Many of you who've heard me speak before have heard it. My father would ask me from as when i was as little as i can remember he'd say what do you want to be when you grow up and i don't remember ever answering it with anything other than i want to be a professional athlete and he would always say well son if you want to be a professional athlete you're going to have to work at it and put in the time and if you do that if you're willing to put in the work you can be anything you want to in life so that was instilled in me at a young age and and i was fortunate because a lot of boys say that, a lot of kids say, "Hey, they want to be a professional athlete." My parents said, "Well, look, I mean, that's that's a off, that's a lofty goal, but you need to." They j- they never they never wanted me to sacrifice education, but they never did throw a wet blanket on my dream of being a professional athlete. I'll, I will say that there was never a moment in my life I didn't think I would be a professional athlete at some point. I just always thought it was going to be baseball. So it was late in really high nice. school before I realized I was going to go on and play football. Were you a pitcher or what, what position? Pitcher and uh, and shortstop. I, I I had a chance to sign with the Mets uh, out of high school. They were looking at me as a catcher or or outfielder. And um, the story with that is the Mets guy, he he the scout, he had been scouting me for a while and had been asking what it would take because I'd already signed my my. Uh, letter of intent to go play football at the University of Oklahoma. And they didn't want to waste a draft pick on me and then me go and play football and then they have nothing to show for the pick. So they kept asking me, what's it for you to, to sign if we draft you? And I, I had no agent. My, my dad started treating me like a grown man from the time I was about six years old. And you, in some ways that's really good, but in other ways you give up a lot. When 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 you're treated like that as a as a young boy, uh, you give up a lot of childhood. And, yeah, and I did. Uh, but I was 17 years old. I graduated. I was relatively young, and uh, I remember I was upstairs uh, in Oklahoma. We had a party line, and we didn't even have a we didn't have a. You know, people may not even know what a party line is, but I do. That's what we had out <laughs> in the country this scout for the Mets says hey we got to know what it's going to take for you to sign and I knew I was going to go to college but I just wanted later in life to be able to say that I got drafted so uh, I was putting him off putting him off and then he finally says what's it going to take for you to sign and I said well I said quarter uh $250,000 which I have no idea what that why I said that or what it was or I mean I had no idea what anything was and money wise at that time and and it didn't come from my mom or dad. They're downstairs, you know, having <laughs> dinner. And uh, the guy says, $250,000, you know, Daryl Strawberry, that was their big star at the time. Daryl Strawberry doesn't even make $250,000. And I said, well, if you want me, that's what it's going to take. <laughs> and he, he said... Uh, have a nice career at Oklahoma, <laughs> and he hung up the phone. And that was it? That was it. And they drafted uh, – they ended up drafting a kid who, uh, same situation as me, had signed to go to Georgia and play quarterback, and he, he did not go to Georgia. He signed with the Mets, and I, for the life of me I can't remember his name, but he actually – he made it to the big leagues, and, and he had a nice career with the Mets in the, uh, in the major leagues. So then when I went to college and uh, I – I probably, and this is easy to say, because a lot, everyone in this room gets asked, if if you didn't do, if you weren't doing what you were doing, what do you think you would be doing? Yeah. Well, I get asked that a lot. If you didn't play football, what do you think you would have done? And I say I would have been a surgeon. A surgeon? Yeah. Well, I mean, one, why not? I mean, why not say that? Right. You know, (coughs) right? Perfect. But my... My sisters are both in the medical field, okay. uh, and I really did. W- I, w- I, w- I was interested in being an orthopedic surgeon. Uh, wh- how f- whether or not I would have made it, I mean, it is anybody's guess. But
2: I see w- you more as a CPA.
0: No way. <laughs> <laughs> so CPA, that's uh, okay. Not, nothing against CPAs. No, way, no. But, <laughs>
2: for- <laughs> so a few years ago, I had heard, this is before I think I knew you, you're going to pay for that comment. Uh, okay. Am I? Okay. <laughs> I'm sorry. So, um, that you had aspirations or would love an opportunity to be a general manager of a football. Do you still feel that way? Because I think uh, the way you prepare, you'd be really good at it. Like I know a well, couple teams that could use the, a good general manager. Huh. Uh, the, the, I'm, I'm not talking about a local team. I'm talking about, I've got a team. That, I know yeah, his, his yeah.
0: team's the Bears, um, well, the way it comes out it comes about is when I was playing, <clears throat> especially as when you come into the league at twenty two years old you, you you're just trying to figure out where your locker is you know i mean you don't know anything and then then, as you start to have success as we did and and then I began having success, and you start having real thoughts of your own as to as to how you would do things if you were making personnel decisions or hiring coaches so i had a, I had a definitely uh opinions on how I thought, how I would have liked to have seen things done. Uh, and in some ways, I retired from the Cowboys because I was having back issues. Some, a lot of people think it was because of concussions. It was primarily be, I was having a lot of back issues and to take a lot of injections in order to try to get on the field and play, and it just became too much. Uh, but another reason was because there were decisions that were being made by the organization that, i didn 't feel we were in the best interest of our football team and gave us the best chance to win right and i didn 't like the fact that you work to 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 gain some respect uh, and have a legacy and I felt that I was risking giving up giving some of that back by decisions that I had no control over, so that 's where a lot of my frustration came in, and so I always had this thought that. That's something I'd like to do, and had I not have gotten divorced when my girls were so young, I think it's a, I think it's a, a route I may have gone, uh, but I just felt that it would be selfish, number one, to put in that kind of time, uh, and then ultimately, I just couldn't give up that kind of time because of being a single dad, but I... I I had thoughts of doing it. My youngest is now just finished her sophomore year of college. And when she graduated from high school, that was the time yeah. at, that I could have dove into it. But I, I really liked my life. And now I believe the time has passed me by. You do? Yeah. I, I still think, you know, it's, it's It'd be a lot. Of, i mean, I to say it's a young man's game, but in order to get where I needed to get in order to do it, uh, a club would have to invest some time into me and i think two years i think if i jumped in and really dove in for two years i'd be ready to to do it but then you know i'm 56 years old and and then at some point so they're looking for younger people in those type of roles which i understand with all that being said uh when when my days are winding down i will look back and say that's something i had done because i it's easy to say you'd be good at it i think i'd be good at it it's easy to say what you would have done but until you're in that position you just don't know and there's a lot of really talented gms yeah that that haven't had the success just like there's a lot of great coaches who went on to be head coaches who haven't had success so it's not a foregone conclusion that that i or anybody would be good at it but uh i i will regret not having given it a shot uh if it never happens and i don't think it will happen
2: i think the the hardest part of that job is picking players do you agree with that yeah because um, i mean a lot of them like i watched the draft hunter hunter watches the draft like he knows every player he was picking who was going to get drafted by who but then three years later you look and half of them aren't playing anymore i mean i
0: yeah, there's and there's no science to it. Uh especially quarterbacks and until you have that guy, you're you're you have no chance of winning and it's it's still a flip of the coin to draft a quarterback in the first round as to whether or not he's going to be good. And and the other part of it for a quarterback is it's not always just because of that guy's abilities. It's it, there's so much yeah, that goes into that a quarterback's right? success. Right. Is he in the right offense? Does he have good players around him? Uh the coaching, the, you know, there's there's all kinds of things that factor into it, um, and yet half of them go on to have really great careers, and and half of them uh, get labeled as a bust. Whether that's fair or not, that's what happens.
2: Do you think a quarterback can get around the height, the lack of height?
0: I think now more than ever, uh, you know, people talk about Russell Wilson and and uh, Drew Brees now of course, uh,
2: the Alabama guys, He's be short, right? I mean, yeah,
0: Bryce yeah. and Bryce Young. And he's, he's not, he's not only short, he's not, he's pretty slight from what I understand. Yeah. I've not met him. Uh, but the game has definitely changed from where it once was. The quarterbacks aren't getting hit as much. Uh, so the it's, it's much more favorable for those quarterbacks. Uh, that are smaller in stature than uh before you just took a beating you know and you just couldn't you would never run a quarterback uh you would ask them not to run and then get on the ground and now we see we see all kinds of quarterbacks who who not only run uh but don't necessarily protect
1: themselves uh before they get hit i agree start your summer the right way with some networking Join us for Happy Hour on Thursday, June 15th at the Marie Gabrielle Restaurant and Gardens and mingle with members of the newly formed Dallas-Fort Worth Chapter of African American Real Estate Professionals, or AA REP. Our summer social is free and exclusive to members of TREK and AA REP DFW. Register now at recouncil.com backslash upcoming dash events. That's recouncil.com backslash upcoming dash events. Special thanks to sponsor CRE Analyst. Now, let's get back to the show.
2: So, like, when you retired, because you retired young, how, 32? I was 34. 34. I played 12 years. Now that would... 12 is a long season. I mean, a, a long career. But I, I remember watching you at your retirement. You looked really young to me. Of course, I'm older, but you looked young. So, did anybody... Come after you after you quit, like when you're sitting on the couch, and 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 if they did, were they any good? Did you have a chance to win well, if you have it, done it?
0: Uh, no, it's a good question. I haven't I haven't really talked a lot about any of this pub too much. Uh, one of them I have that I'll that I'll share briefly again. But when I re I I thought when I retired I was going to go sign with the Chargers. North Turner was the offensive coordinator with them. Uh, I I got released but when I say I got retired, I got released by the Cowboys and then I thought I was going to get signed by the chargers. Instead, their general manager, uh, signed Doug Flutie. So the morning after I was released, I got a call from Norv and he says, you're not going to believe this, but we just signed Doug Flutie. And I said, well, that makes it easy. I'll just, uh, I'll just retire because I wasn't interested really in going anywhere else. And, uh, but then later that day, I got a call from Mike Shanahan, who was the head coach of the Denver Broncos. And he said, uh, "He said Troy, he says uh, I just want you to know, we'd, we'd love to sign you if you're still interested in playing football. And they had just signed Brian Greasy uh, to a new contract. He was their starter at the time. And I said, are you wanting to sign me as the starter or are you wanting to sign me as a backup? And uh, he said, well, we just signed Brian uh, to – to be the starter he said i'd love to have you come in uh and you know start off as a backup you can always compete and see where it goes and i said mike if it's not you know i'm i mean no offense but i just know where i'm at and i know that i that i could play better and uh so yeah than him for sure was that politically correct
2: (laughs) Well, that's just the so, truth.
0: Um, so I said, you know, I'm, I, I'm not interested in doing that, Mike, but thank you. And, and what he said, which was really nice, he said, hey, if you want to use us, if you want to use Denver in order to better your position with another club, if you want to play, feel free to do that. And I said, okay, well, uh, I'll keep that in mind. Well, nothing came about it, So then I retired. And then uh, two years later, we're doing a game in San Diego. We're doing a Chargers game, and we'd just done a game break that Donovan McNabb had broken his leg. Yes. And uh, we're about to go to halftime, and I get a a, – my producer gets in my ear and says, hey, I've got a number for you for you to call at halftime. And he's never done that before. He didn't tell me who. He just said, hey, call this number at halftime. So – Thought it must be important. There was no cell service in our in our box there at Old Jack Murphy Stadium, so I I stepped out. I'm on the concourse. It's not the stadium wasn't like they are now. You're literally out amongst all the fans, and they're walking by and uh, they're yelling obscenities at me. You know, Cowboys. You know, you know. So I'm on the phone, and it's and it's Andy Reid. Uh, Andy Reid answers the phone, and uh, he says hey you know why I wanted you to call me don't you and I said well you know Andy I got a feeling I do but you know we just we just announced that Donovan broke his leg I'm in, I'm doing the game I'm in the middle of the game <laughs> and he says no I I know you are I'm watching the game so I said look I'll call you after after this game I'll call you and we'll talk about it so anyway I called him I was on my web to Santa Barbara I was going to spend a few days up there and and, and I called, uh, called Andy. I said, tell me why you think this will work. And his intentions were that I was going to start the very next Monday night against the San Francisco 49ers. And, uh, and you I, hadn't played in two years. Hadn't played in two years. Didn't know the offense and, and you know, all that. And So that kind of made me a little bit skeptical. But <laughs> I said, uh, you know, why do you think it will work? And he gave me all his reasons. I said, look, let me uh, – I want to sleep on it. I'll call you in the morning. And he said, okay. So I called my producer. And I said, tell me, because I just was in my second year of television. I said, tell me why you think, uh, or if you do, you think I may have a career in television. You know, do you think I'm any good at this? And then he answered it. uh, And then I called Norv Turner, who was my offensive coordinator with the Cowboys, uh, who was coaching in the the league at the time. And I said, uh, you know, what do you think? And so we talked about it, and the next morning I called Andy and said, hey, you know, I appreciate it, but it's just not going to work out. So that was kind of the end of it.
2: Are you glad you never went to another team? Yeah. I think so too. It's kind of cool. Dave
0: Wanstedt, who coached the Bears, of course, he was with the Dolphins a year later, and he actually uh, talked to me about coming out of retirement and playing for them. They thought they were a quarterback away from from maybe winning it all, and as it turned out, they were far from that. You know, their offensive – they went six and ten. Their offensive yeah. line wasn't very good, and I just remember uh, thinking, "Man, because I w- I was going to do it." Their GM ultimately wouldn't sign me, but I trained that off season like I was going to. So
2: would that have been three years after you retired? Yeah.
0: Wow. And, uh, but yeah, no, I am glad. I, I'm I'm glad I can say that I only played for the for the Cowboys. Um, I'm, I'm happy with the broad the broadcasting yeah. worked out. And and you know, uh, I had this conversation with Jason Witten because. You know jason garrett 's dad would always say, "You play as long as you can play because there comes a time when you you reach an age where it doesn 't matter if you want to play or not play, you just physically can 't do it, so as long as you want to play and you can keep playing um, and so Jason called me when he was trying to decide whether or not he was going to go into broadcasting or continue to play, and I told him kind of the same thing that you know you hate to not play as long as you can play and you still got I don't know another year for sure maybe two more years really good years and maybe you win a Super Bowl and you know all that would be amazing but these jobs don't come around very often and you have an opportunity to to get involved in 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 this job with Monday Night Football it's a great job with young children and uh and then ultimately he ended up retiring um and then went went into broadcasting but uh, had I have given up broadcasting to go play, someone else then would have stepped right. in, and there's no telling what might have happened when I when I came back. So I'm I'm glad it worked out the way it did.
2: So who has been your most influential mentor in your
0: life? Uh, well, business wise, it's been Carl Westcott. Right. Um, uh, who uh, say prayers for him? He's 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 not doing well right now. Um, in athletically, I would probably say. Uh, Norv Turner has been the biggest, biggest influence on me, um, and then my father, in kind of a strange way he he uh, as I mentioned earlier, you know he was tough he was uh, uh, very strict uh, disciplinarian uh, you know it, it was not an easy way to grow up, but I, I think that it was through raised that way that that gave me the drive that I have that I'm not I'm not certain I'm not certain I would have made it uh if I if I hadn't have been hadn't had been forced to be as mentally tough as I had to be
2: right okay so um I'm out of time I've got a bunch more questions but I'm going to give you a break and stop asking them okay um Does is there anybody in the crowd? Maybe we get maybe two questions of Troy that I haven't asked. Anybody want to ask a question? You might get a free pass here. Hunter, you don't have a question. Okay, then I'm gonna ask. Yes. I'm sorry. What? O O U to U C L A.
0: When I, when I was being recruited to go to Oklahoma, uh, it was at the time that are my age and remember it, Marcus Dupree had been at Oklahoma and he had just left, transferred out of the university. But they were, they were running the I formation because USC had beaten them two consecutive years. And they were running the I formation. And Barry Switzer had said that the, the wishbone offense was obsolete. They were going to get away from it, go more to a pro-style attack. And so I was the next recruiting class. And I was being recruited as a quarterback that was going to fit this pro-style offense. And yet there was a whole bunch of running backs that were being told that, no, 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 they were going to go back to the wishbone. So they had this amazing recruiting class, but it was kind of split between people who thought they were going to a pro-style offense like myself, Keith Jackson, who was the number one receiving tight end in the nation, he signed with Oklahoma. He was in my draft class, and he thought they were, they were going to throw the ball as well. Uh, so there was a lot of frustration on my part. Uh, I started one game as a freshman, true freshman, started as a sophomore, and then broke my leg in the fourth game of the season against the University of Miami. Um, and, and Jamel Holloway, who was a true freshman, came in, who was a wishbone quarterback, led the team to the national championship and he was the at the time it was the big eight conference he was the big eight quarterback uh big eight offensive player of the year as a true freshman and they but the coaches were telling me hey spring ball it's wide open competition and I thought really I mean this (laughs) this guy just won the national championship you know he's the big eight offensive player of the year so I I knew I was not going to play and and then decided to transfer. Uh, I was 19 years old and, and then transferred uh, to UCLA. With the help of, of Barry Switzer, he called these schools. I think he felt bad. I think he knew kind of that I was uh, I was in the wrong program, and, and, uh, and then it worked out. And Terry Donahue was my there at UCLA. Uh, you mentioned who mentors are. I've been fortunate in my life. Uh, I think anyone who's had success, whether it's in real estate or whatever your profession is, Uh, You've had good mentors and good teachers, and and I'm certainly uh, the beneficiary of a lot of that. From the time I began, I had had invested coaches who really knew uh, the game, and Terry Donahue not only was an amazing coach, but uh, I know of no one uh, that I hold in higher regard than him, and uh, he passed away a couple years ago. As well. But uh, my time at UCLA was well served and, and, and met an amazing man and made some amazing teammates.
2: Anything else? Anybody else? One more. All right, I'm going to. You got one? Yeah. Fire away. That was one of my questions. That's great.
0: Yeah, uh, you know, we had gone through a stretch of games. The question was about DeMar Hamlin uh, in, in, in the Bills game that we had that Monday night against the Bengals. And we had had a series of games. That's been the tough thing about Monday night football is when the schedule comes out, you think you've got amazing games. And then when they roll around, the teams may not be where you thought they, they were going to be. Uh, so we had had a number of games leading up to that one that were not competitive. They weren't good teams and it was frustrating for me because I was used to doing games for Fox and we always had the best game on Fox. So we always had compelling matchups. When well, we went into that game, we were really excited about it because it felt like a playoff game, which essentially it was, uh with what was at stake. And the game started out great. A lot of energy in the stadium. It felt good uh to be calling a game like that again. And then when DeMar made the the you know the hit uh what initially I thought was what I'd seen, I don't want to say too many times, but I'd seen it from time to time where someone gets up, is dazed, has a head injury, and then goes to the ground. And that's what I initially thought that it was. And we don't really like to show that too much. It, it, it's not something that we feel the viewers, it's, it's a tough moment uh, when you see someone that's had a head injury like that. But I thought that's what it was. And then we found out rather quickly uh, I mean, in a matter of seconds, shortly thereafter, that it was far more than simply a head injury. And what we had, what we were able to see in our booth, because we have cameras, was not what was being shown to the public. So I, I didn't think he was going to live, quite, on, uh, quite honestly. Um, they were, they were working around the table. They were admi- administering CPR, and one would get tired, and they'd rotate around, and the next person would get in line. And this went on and on and on. And it was, it was violent, uh, the compressions that they were, they were giving him to try to start his heart. Um, and the amount of time that was passing... You know, I just said, we've not seen this. This is unprecedented. We've just never witnessed anything like this. And, I, you know, I don't even know how we're going to handle it. We didn't know how long we were going to be on the air, uh, if it was going to get tossed to somebody else. Uh, because, yeah, all of a sudden we became newscasters. And, and I say we, uh, I'm, I'm, I don't even feel comfortable saying we because Joe did the heavy lifting. And I told him afterwards that I've be, I've been alongside of him for 22 years, and he's called some amazing moments, uh, and he's handled some really difficult moments with tremendous grace. But that was his finest hour. I mean, he did he did the heavy lifting that night, and there was no script, and there was nothing coming in. There was no real information coming in. Uh, I've gotten lumped in with the coverage of that night, uh, and, and I, and I don't deserve any credit for it, quite honestly. I mean, Joe was phenomenal. Our crew handled it exceptionally well. Lisa Salters, who did some reporting from the sidelines, uh, she was fantastic. So then we move forward to just last week, each network does what they call an upfront in in front of advertisers to get the advertisers excited about uh disney does theirs for all their programs abc does one uh which is obviously part of disney but fox has theirs, cbs has theirs but it's not just sports it's it's all of their entertainment shows and all that and it's to get advertisers excited that they'll pay more advertising for these programs uh joe and i we went and presented at the ESPN up front last week in May. And and we brought, uh, they brought DeMar Hamlin out on stage while we were out there. And it's, and it was the first time I'd met him. So I, I had not met him prior to prior to last week. And as I told him, uh, that could, you know, first of all, it, it's a miracle uh, that he survived. But in addition to that, he's a great, I don't want to say kid, he's a grown, he's a man, but he, he's a great young man. I mean, he, and he has, for those of you that have seen him, you feel that when you're in his presence and when you hear him speak of how grateful he is. And I told him that day, I said, you know, as amazing as as your recovery has been, you're going to get to continue to play you know, you have a platform now that otherwise wouldn't have been given, and there's no doubt in my mind that you're gonna you're gonna utilize that and do such great work. I mean, you already have in the short few months that you know you've been doing different things, and I believe that he will. So, what could have been a really tragic uh, story, I think, has turned into something really positive, and, and a young man who's got a who's got a lot of gifts and a lot to give uh, has now got the attention of the public, and he can uh,
2: he can he can give
0: so. Really happy for him.
2: Troy, I appreciate you taking the time. You're welcome. You're awesome. Appreciate it.
0: Thank, Thank you everybody you.
1: for coming out. I really do. That's all for today's show. I'd like to thank Troy Aikman and Bill Cawley for their fireside chat, and once again recognize and thank our Speaker Series sponsors, our title sponsor, Bank of Texas, series sponsor Stuart Title, Speaker Sponsor, Global Pro Texas, and Media Partner, the Dallas Morning News Media Giant. Make sure you register for our June 15th summer social event with AA Rep DFW, and don't forget to subscribe to Trackcast on your favorite podcast app and follow us on social media and YouTube. Until next time, I'm Bill San Antonio. Thanks for joining us.